Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Big Football Show. I am Mitch Sherman, joined by Scott Docterman. Good Wednesday morning around the Big Ten. We are recording ahead of week three in the league. And as all eyes nationally focus on Big Ten country and its influence on and after Election Day, we are looking at something too, Scott, of a crazy world in Big Ten football, particularly in the Big Ten West. Everything is upside down right now. Minnesota and Iowa are 0-2. Purdue and Northwestern are 2-0. Wisconsin remains on the sideline with a COVID-19 outbreak that is jeopardizing its title chances in the, in the division after the Badgers have played just one game. So it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Scott, your early thoughts on the way the Big Ten West is getting underway. Yeah, it certainly is the wild, wild west in this part of the world. And, uh, you know, part of it is you, you look at those records. I mean, Minnesota and Iowa both were top 15 teams last year combined for 21 wins. And now both are 0-2, uh, albeit they did it in completely different ways. Purdue and Northwestern are 2-0. and And, uh, again, you know, the common element to, to that is uh, – both Purdue and Northwestern beat Iowa in very close fashion, one, uh, Northwestern by one point and, and Purdue by four. So that's kind of the difference between uh, or among all those four teams. But I do think that there, the situation involving Wisconsin has kind of dominated ever, uh, the conversation in the West because the Badgers are the flagship program. The, they're the ones that have uh, kind of set the standard. They're the ones that t- typically get to Indianapolis. Uh, I believe it's, what, four out of six years uh, they've been there. And then before that, when we had the the wonderful legends and leaders for all you legends and listeners out there. So uh, the situation in Wisconsin, no, uh, no game again this week. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, this is quickly turning into a, a big problem for Wisconsin in, in addition to the the um, medical and health consequences in Madison. The Badgers are one canceled game away at this point from taking themselves out of contention for the West Division as long as the rest of the teams play six or more games. So Wisconsin at this point, if it's able to get back on the field next Saturday and go to Michigan as scheduled uh, – it can't have any kind of a slip-up. It can't have an opponent that cancels on it, as the Badgers have done to Nebraska and Purdue the past two weeks, or we're going to be talking about moving down the ladder, even if the Badgers are sitting there with the best record in the Big Ten West when we get to December 19th. So that is that is a dynamic that we, of course, have never dealt with in, in Big Ten football. And, you know, you start to wonder, 
with some of these teams, Wisconsin, of course, being at the top of the list because of what it's been through. But I'd also look at Minnesota. You know, you can cross over to the east and look at Penn State the team that you cover closely there in Iowa City, you can look at the Hawkeyes and say, okay, at what point do these teams that have not turned it on and have not won a game or have been on the sideline, at what point does that start to affect their psyche in this shortened season where so much more uh, from a a level of sacrifice is being asked of these players? Are are these coaches like P.J. Fleck, um, like James Franklin, like Kirk Ferentz, going to start to have trouble getting their players in the right frame of mind every week as they as they progress toward the middle of the season? I think it's very possible. I mean, I think you, let's look just briefly at the East, even though we're a West is Best podcast. Uh, you look at Penn State, they're done. They're not going to the, the Big Ten championship game. And it's an all or nothing type of scenario for them. Uh, their only hope was to run the table outside of a close loss to Ohio State and maybe go eight and one and sneak into the playoff for it to be a, a season that counts if you don't get a Big Ten title. Uh, so that's a really interesting dynamic for the Nittany Lions, even though I think they're still pretty good. Uh, when you look at Iowa, two very, very close losses, uh, two, lo- two games that they led into the second half, that they had sizable leads, that they let slip away, that um, a combination of player error, uh, mistakes, and coaching errors, in my opinion, um, you know, really cost them dearly in these games. And then, and then you look at Minnesota and just the, the, the dumpster fire that their defense is right now. Uh, that was a, this was a season where they expected, the Gophers expected a challenge in the West. And finally, when you go to Wisconsin, <laughs> they could be the best team in the West, but that won't matter because they have no margin for error. And let's say that they, they play Michigan, which I think talent-wise will be a very competitive matchup. Uh, they could lose that game. They could lose in Iowa City at the end of the year. They could lose to Northwestern. Uh, they could lose to a lot of these teams once. I wouldn't predict them to lose a lot of games, but even one loss with the minus two games off the schedule, and they're out of it. So it's really going to be a crazy dynamic to get through the season. Uh, but it does show that uh, this, when we write the oral history of the 2020 football season, which will be not just an oral history, it'll be in book form, I think. Um <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the Big Ten and all the missteps, and there have been so many that um, I think it will be written down as one of the worst administered years I've ever seen in college sports. I think it's going to be a series of books. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll go like quarter by quarter throughout the year, yeah. one one novel for each one. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. We're, we're going to remember the 2020 season, the twenty, the year 2020 for uh, so much more than what we've seen these last couple of weeks. But not surprising that it's gotten off to this kind of a hectic start considering what's uh, what's going on around us. What, why don't you introduce us, Scott, to the games that are going on in the division this week and, and what we're going to talk about here with the, the teams that we cover. Yeah, it's interesting. There are three games, and you know, really the primary two are the ones that we will be involved with coverage of. One is Nebraska at Northwestern. Um, the anxiety that's gripped the, the Huskers in getting a game canceled is 
kind of unusual. I'll let you kind of explain what, what's all happened in, in Lincoln. But uh, for, for, they get an introduction to Northwestern in a year where I think uh, Northwestern is back to what it was two years ago. In fact, I would argue that they are, the Wildcats are better now than what they were two years ago. Uh, but that said, Nebraska feels pretty good about itself. So I think this is it's not an elimination game, certainly, but I think it's kind of one of these barometer games um, among the two or between the two teams. And then, you know, Michigan State at Iowa, uh, you know, typically you know, I've seen so many matchups over the years between D'Antonio and Ference. You knew what to expect. It was going to be 16 to 13, flip a coin on who wins it. Uh, well, without D'Antonio and looking at two completely different Spartan teams. One when they lost to Rutgers decisively in the opening game. And last week when they looked really good in beating Michigan, I have no idea what to expect from that one. And yet I know exactly what to expect from Iowa. So I don't, I really, uh, you know, I think that's another coin toss. And then finally, uh, you know, we get Minnesota at Illinois, two zero and two teams. Uh, there were bowl teams last year, but I think this is kind of really an important uh you know, game for both just to kind of mentally get back into it, or you might see some players checking out. So, well, let's first talk about uh, the Huskers trip to the northern suburbs and Chicagoland. Uh, what's at stake? Is this a must win, do you think, for the Huskers? Yeah, it's getting to that level. I, Nebraska, of course, has been through a lot over the last week, just since you and I talked uh, a week ago. Nebraska, of course, went through that cancellation against Wisconsin, Barry Alvarez, called up Bill Moose on Wednesday morning probably as uh, as our podcast was getting put out on the airwaves and and uh, informed the Nebraska athletic director that the Badgers weren't going to be able to make it to Lincoln on Halloween that the COVID outbreak was was growing and they were going to need to go into shutdown mode for 7 days and now we're we're here at 7 days actually 8 days and and Wisconsin is still shut down so you know, things have gotten bad in Madison, as we discussed earlier, and at Nebraska, it was scramble mode as soon as the Badgers canceled. Nebraska went out looking for a non-conference opponent and had some contact with the Big Ten before it did so, got the okay to get started on that kind of a conversation, and then ran with it. The Huskers found Chattanooga of the FCS, not exactly the Big Ten-only schedule that the league had mandated back in July, but, you know, this is a year of fluidity and change, and there's been a lot of movement in the way that this test, the tests have worked around the league. Ultimately, that did not work out. Nebraska went to the Council of Presidents and Chancellors on Thursday morning. Ronnie Green, the Nebraska chancellor, presented his case to his colleagues, and they considered it, and they said, no, you will not be playing the Chattanooga Mocs on Halloween afternoon in Lincoln. So the Huskers went on their way. They practiced on Friday and Saturday, and here we are, Nebraska at Northwestern Week with a couple extra days to practice for the Wildcats Pat Fitzgerald mentioned early this week. Yeah, can I stop you for a second here? Yeah, sure. Let's back up. Let's back up to the conversation that Bill Moose had with Big Ten officials. Mm -hmm. Uh, You said that they were given some sort of a a, the okay to actually look at at another game. Yeah, Nebraska had some preliminary conversations. Uh, Bill Moose reached out to Kevin Warren and was given the green light to go ahead and say, "Yeah, you can talk." Um, he was not told, the Nebraska administration was not told to go ahead and schedule the game, um, which the Huskers did not do. 
Um, I, I, there has been some national conversation. There has been some conversation within the Big Ten that Nebraska acted completely in a renegade fashion, somewhat similar to what the Huskers did back in August. We saw it in that first week after the Big Ten canceled its fall season or postponed its fall season that Nebraska took a stand, said, we're going to do what's best for our football players, what's best for our state, what's best for our school, and we're going to go out and look for, look for games no matter what you say, Big Ten, we're going to look for games. And then ultimately Nebraska came to its senses and realized that would not be a good idea. This, what happened last week, was different in that Nebraska did seek some initial clearance from the Big Ten to go out and have that conversation with other programs. While it didn't get the okay to schedule the game, it at least got the, the okay to talk. So I do think that makes this a little bit of a different situation. Absolutely it does. I mean, that that clearly changes what my thoughts are versus probably what the majority of people's thoughts are. Uh, because if it felt, if, and I was unaware of that conversation that took place between Bill Moose and Kevin Warren. And so the onus to me then immediately flips to the Big Ten office to say, not only did you've made your, one of your vested members look like a renegade team you you completely shatter, just shred the reputation of it because it makes nebraska look like it's about nebraska first not the big 10 first and that's what these schools and teams are all about so i think this is yet another step in the big 10 where the leadership is lacking at an incredible level because there is no way that kevin warren should have said Yes, you can even look. You sh- he should have shut it down. That's what happened in July. No looking. That way you don't embarrass anybody. You don't embarrass your league. You don't embarrass this team. And you don't turn this into a story. Um, if he knew that that's what was going to happen, that should have never taken place. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point to bring up. And it, and it shows, again, what we've seen as a trend in the Big Ten, where you just have somewhat of a, of a, of a, um, a rudderless ship um, and, and it's been that way for much of this offseason as, as the league has, has dealt with this pandemic and the way scheduling would work. Now, I would say and, and I would emphasize that no one in the Big Ten office told Nebraska that you have the green light to do whatever you want. It was go ahead and have those conversations. We're not going to make that decision now. If you get further down the road on this, we will have the the presidents and the chancellors vote on it. And they were scheduled to meet anyway in a routine meeting on Thursday morning over the phone or over Zoom, how, however they do those meetings. So Nebraska went into it, went into the conversations with Chattanooga, not expecting that it was necessarily a done deal, but knowing that it, it had initial clearance to go ahead and have those conversations. So anyway. Um, well... That that's that's fascinating in so many levels to me that again, you know, in July it became Big Ten only. Mm-hmm. And yet even just to get the okay to say, go ahead and have those conversations, um, just shows a complete and utter and I and I if I'm stepping out of line, let me know, but a complete and utter lack of leadership from the Big Ten because this turned it into an ambiguous situation where there was no ambiguity throughout a lot of the summer. And uh, I think this is part of the problem. This is what we're going to see through the course of the year, because this is going to happen to somebody else. And I know the statement that was released by the Nebraska officials, you know, turned people a little bit the wrong way, which is possible. But uh, I just, I'm floored 
that that the Big Ten would even allow that. To, this, it, it should have been no, don't do it. Period. End it. Don't don't leave it out there because now the Nebraska fans, and based on what you said, rightly so, are upset that the Big Ten won't let them play, let let the Huskers play last weekend, and then the rest of the league is like, what are you doing? We have these prearranged agreements. You're going renegade. Do you even really want to be here? So there's this uh, there's this divide that has to be sewed up, or it could get really bad. And you you covered the league that the Nebraska Huskers came from, and I'm getting on a rant, and I apologize, but you covered the league where the by all means continue (laughs) that was divided in so many different ways, and I covered it too late in the process. So I. All right. Uh, we probably should get back to football. Otherwise, I could be here all day doing this. Right. And, and, and the, the, the message out of Lincoln this week is let's move on. There wasn't a lot of talk, certainly not from the players, about what happened with Chattanooga and what ha- happened with the Big Ten. Nebraska's ready to move on. Nebraska is ready to play its second game of the year. Nebraska's not happy that uh, it's played one game in the first nine weeks of the college football season. Uh, Scott Frost mentioned on Monday that Nebraska has set a record for having the most practices with only one game under its belt in the history of college football. So two games will be played, knock on wood, by Saturday. Quickly, I want to I make a couple points about this Nebraska-Northwestern game. And tell me if you agree, Scott. I watched the Iowa-Northwestern game. I saw Iowa get out to a big lead, a 17-0 lead in the first half. And then... Um, it's hard to say that Iowa got conservative when it threw 51 passes in that game, but I felt like there were some things that it was doing on offense. Maybe it was more the way it's tried to spread Northwestern out early in the game and didn't do that so much later in the game. I feel like Nebraska's advantage, if it has one, when it's on offense against that solid and fundamental Northwestern defense is that it can get its athletes in space, that Nebraska is a spread system more so than Iowa, more so than many of the opponents that Northwestern will face in the Big Ten West, certainly Wisconsin. And it has an opportunity to do some things where it puts Northwestern in a position defensively that's uncomfortable for the Wildcats. You saw Northwestern Saturday come back and win that game 21-20 in Iowa City. What do you think about Nebraska's possibility to get Northwestern in some spots like that? I think the potential is there, and what we saw from Iowa was uh, new Iowa versus old Iowa, and I, old Iowa won, which is why Iowa lost. And that was in the running game when Iowa ran from shotgun, which is what majority of teams do, and certainly in, in the case in Nebraska. Uh, it was eight carries for 47 yards, only one carry for loss. They looked good because no, Northwestern wasn't quite prepared for it because even Iowa has – with Tyler Goodson and some of the other players, decent players in space because they and they made it work. When Iowa went under center and ran inside zone or ran outside slant, it was 10 of 16. And Northwestern with Pat Fitzgerald, with Mike Hankowitz, with uh, the two linebackers who've been there since the beginning of time, Patty Fisher and Blake hmm. Gallagher, they saw it, they knew it, they recognized it, and they stopped it. And, and it was like, why are you doing this? Well, then Iowa got conservative because, or it seemingly so said, okay, we abandoned the running game, which is just so 
bizarre, if you will, uh, and decided, let's put it, the, the ball in the hands of a, a sophomore quarterback making his first home start against a pretty experienced and patient and, you know, secondary and, and, and team and, and then just threw the ball all over the place and wasn't very accurate. And it was, it was like they were playing like once Northwestern got the momentum, they were down like 10 points instead of one. So I do agree with you when it comes to uh, Nebraska that when you get Wandale Robinson in space, when you have Adrian Martinez being able to get on the edge a little bit, I think they're going to be able to pick up chunks of yards. You know, where Northwestern is good uh, is if you try to – play anything basic they're going to stop it they're patient they're but they're patient but they're aggressive they know which spots to hit and I do think you look at uh, uh, the linebackers you're not going to be able to fool them so uh, you've got to take it when it's there because they're not going to give you anything right right that's the key with Northwestern is take advantage of those opportunities because you're probably not going to have a lot uh, the Cats are going to minimize things. They're going to shorten the game against Nebraska. They're going to run the ball. We saw Northwestern run the ball, can continue to run the ball against Iowa, even when it was down big in that game, and it paid off. So um, speaking of a potential must-win game, we're going to move on to Iowa, 0-2 for the first time since 2000, way back at the beginning for, for Kirk Ferentz. The Hawkeyes have Minnesota and Penn State, also both currently winless after the Spartans come to Iowa City this weekend. So what needs to happen, Scott, for Iowa to get on track Saturday against Mel Tucker in Michigan State? <laughs> it's really the old Ferencisms, which is just clean some things up and, and execute better. And I, I'd re- I, I got to go into depth because I can't let that stand. That would make everybody sick if they're from Iowa. But it's, tr- it's true. I mean, three interceptions last week, two major fumbles the week before. If Without those plays, Iowa's 2-0, and and we're talking about them being the divisional favorite. Instead, we're talking about them, whether or not they can you know win half their games. And, and I think, uh, really, it's when you look at Michigan State, and I rewatched the game with Michigan because I really didn't think that the Rutgers game had much bearing. Um, it's a different little. It's a little bit different defense. Certainly not the four-three. You know, over that. Um, you know, D'Antonio ran. They've got good athletes. They hit on defense. What Iowa's going to have to do is incorporate motion when they were when they would motion. They had no jet sweep motion at all. Zero plays against Northwestern and I asked Ferentz about it after the game and he was like he said well we just didn't feel like that was going to be a good thing against their defense well they they had what seven carries for 96 yards when they went jet sweep or reverse against Nebraska USC and and Purdue in their previous games so they went really bland against a team that knows them better than any other team in the league and and so they're going to have to do more they're going to have to motion they're going to have to jet sweep they don't have Amir Smith-Marset who had an OWI and he's out for this game, uh, but they're still going to have to just give them something that they're not prepared to see. And uh, if they can do that, I mean, I think they're going to be in the game no matter what, but I'm not sure that they're going to be able to score enough or make enough big plays if they just go to the traditional Iowa inside-outside zone because that, they're just that style of play, it's like the wing tee. It's, it's kind of on the, the down, downward trend. Yeah, I think it really comes down to from the the opponent's perspective, from the Michigan State perspective, is just what team you're going to see. And I don't know if it's Mel Tucker, 
Um, but I certainly saw it a year ago with his team at Colorado in that it had the ability to step up on short notice. Colorado was a mess last year when Mel Tucker got there. And I went out to Boulder in week two expecting Scott Frost in year two in Nebraska to just run over the buffs. And they did in the first half of that game. And then Colorado came back and won it in overtime. So a similar kind of turnaround in week two that we saw from Michigan State this year in going into the big house. No 100,000 fans there, but going into the big house nonetheless and really pulling something out that I don't think anyone saw coming after both of those teams played uh, their opening game. So what Michigan State team is going to come to Iowa City if it's week one, Michigan State, Iowa probably gets back on track in some in something of uh, you know an easy fashion, maybe not easy, but uh, easier than, than what the Hawks have had going against them the, the first two weeks. And if it's, uh, if it's last week's Michigan State team or that Colorado team that we saw in week two a year ago, then, then Iowa is going to have its hands full. So um, quickly, Scott, before we get to our our uh, what we're watching this week. I do want to mention that Illinois Minnesota game, the Gophers going to Champaign 2:30 p.m. Saturday on BTN. The Illini will again be without quarterback Brandon Peters who is dealing with COVID-19. He's on that 21-day uh, protocol missed the Purdue game and credit to Illinois for for having that thing close at the end the Illini lost 38-31 Saturday to Purdue but um, a couple of desperate teams here at 0-2 both in need of a win certainly the Gophers badly in need of a win if they expect to make any noise in the Big Ten West this year with um, a big game looming against Iowa on Friday night November 13th at home in the Twin Cities so any thoughts there to add on Illinois, Minnesota? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think as, as surprising as the Michigan State Michigan game was, I, you know, kind of threw out, you know, had a little bit of a mental hold that, okay, but it is a rivalry game and sometimes things happen that are crazy. I've seen that happen before, especially like an Iowa State Iowa games. Uh, I did not expect in a million years based on the way Maryland played in its opener against Northwestern that it would be able to compete with with Minnesota and not only did it compete it had almost 700 yards of offense after 200 yards against uh the Wildcats so uh it's broken defensively in in the Twin Cities I mean they're averaging they're giving up almost 290 yards rushing per game they gave up you know 216 uh you know to one guy last week you know from Maryland and it's just I I guess I'm really surprised and I think that situation more so than even Illinois. I think if, if they go to Champaign and lose, I think you could see the wheels really fall off uh, the gopher train. I, 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 you know, you've got a team that, you know, with Shad Bateman who opted back in, he hoped to get back in. They thought, okay, this is a team that was ranked. It had an opportunity to, to potentially win the big 10 West for the first time. And then just to, you know, to lay flat, especially giving up a 17 point lead in the fourth quarter at Maryland, I think really, if they go to Champaign and lose, it could uh, it could cause some major problems for the Gophers. Right. We saw the unveiling of Talia Tungavailoa, um, mm-hmm. a Big Ten name to watch for the next few years. So that was fun to watch on Friday night. Not fun for P.J. Fleck and uh, his walk-on kicker at the end of that game, but uh, um, a good moment for Maryland nonetheless. So we can't get out of here without this, Scott. 
I am going to start gambling and will come to you for advice <laughs> if you do this again. But last week you called for a big game from Muhammad Ibrahim, the Minnesota running back who carried 41 times Friday night in that loss at Maryland for 207 <laughs> yards in four touchdowns. So I guess I guess you kind of nailed that with your call. N- normally I would gloat over what I said on mm-hmm. Purdue receiver David Bell, who caught nine passes for 122 yards and a touchdown, but that's nothing uh, compared to what you did with Ibrahim. So, so what is it? Uh, what what do you got this week? Only uh, only three games in the West to choose from. Who who is uh, who or what is your pick to uh, pick to click? Oh my gosh, I've got two guys, and I th- I think I'm gonna I, uh, I'm gonna go with a one A, and that's gonna be my permanent candidate. But I'm gonna go one B just to just to hedge myself and say, yeah, but if it doesn't work out, <laughs> 1A, Adrian Martinez. I think, as you mentioned, Northwestern's defense can be susceptible to quicker players. I think he's capable of of uh, getting yards and chunks. I think he's capable of making big plays against the Wildcats. I, I don't think they, they're going to score north of high 20s, but I think he's capable of making enough big plays to make it a very interesting, competitive, and potentially – a victorious game for the Huskers. So I, I I got him as my primary. My backup that I almost wanted to go with is, is Tyler Goodson from Iowa. I think he's going to get some pretty big plays. They're finally going to realize, you know what, let's get him the ball because he could do things that running backs in Iowa can't do. So he, he's my number two, but I think I'm going to go with Adrian Martinez. All right, two chances for Scott to score, and uh, <laughs> you you, um, you basically explained why I'm picking Wandale Robinson. Uh, just yeah. a quick a quick guy. Um, I think he presents a matchup problem for Northwestern. He did last year playing both running back and receiver against the Wildcats in Nebraska's 13 to 10 victory. Uh, Robinson had 167 yards on 14 touchdowns, basically was Nebraska's entire offense, uh, especially in the second half of that game. That was the game where Martinez went down with the knee injury and Noah Vedrill. Now the starter at, at Rutgers came in and, and led Nebraska to its to its final score. So I'm going with Wandale Robinson. You've got Tyler Goodson and Adrian Martinez. Uh, we'll check back next week to see if you wipe the floor with me again. So... That is it for our breakdown today. There are three games in the East on Saturday to watch. Michigan at 13th ranked and still unbeaten Indiana. Maryland going to 0-2 Penn State. See, the craziness continues in the East. And then Rutgers at number three, Ohio State. I want to see Rutgers with um, a few of those plays that occurred at the end of the game last week where they had 15 laterals. That that would be uh, an effective way to move the ball Maybe the most effective way for Rutgers to move the ball against Ohio State in Columbus. Austin Meek and Colton Pouncey are here Thursday on the Big Football Show. Please subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Review our show. Give us a five-star rating. And, of course, subscribe to The Athletic for coverage from all of us and much, much more. Thanks for listening today. Thanks.